So I heard a story about a professor who was giving his students a test. And somehow the student or the professor's assistant, who you know obviously helped out with things like that and printing off things, somehow the, the assistant had stapled the answer sheet on the back of the test itself. And so when the professor passed out the test, the answer sheet was on the back, and he didn't know that. Well, about 20 minutes or so, 15, 20 minutes or so into the test, the professor got a call, so he stepped out to take the call and answer it while all the students were taking the test. And by that point, all of the students had recognized that the answer sheet was on the back of the test. And so they all decided, we're going to use the answers, we're going to pass this test, and then we'll just throw the sheet away, we'll take it off, and hopefully the professor will be none the wiser. So that's what they did. They all uh, copied the answers down on, the, on their test, double-checked to make sure they had all the answers right, and then they, uh, they, they all turned in their, their test. The professor probably never would have been the wiser, except for one question in particular that stood out, although everybody getting pretty much every answer right on the test was also kind of a red flag. But this one particular question stood out above all of the others, because while every other question on the test required a specific answer, the last question was a little more subjective. And on that question, the professor wasn't looking for one specific answer, but several answers would have been accepted. And so for that question, he had written on the answer sheet, answers will vary. And so every single student on the test had written on their test, on the last question, the answer, answers will very. That was a pretty good giveaway for the professor. That's a true story, by the way. <laughs> uh, as I said last week, we, we live in a time where we have access to more information than we have ever had throughout the course of human history. We are inundated with information, and yet the world is still broken. Information is not our problem, but information is not producing transformation. We've got a lot of knowledge, but we don't seem to have a whole lot of wisdom in how to use that. And maybe what's most wrong is that we can't seem to agree on what is most right, which, as I said last week, is perhaps one more reason why Jesus was so eager to send the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. If you haven't been with us, or if you have, then you know we've been in this. But if you haven't been, we've been in a series for the last, what is this, week five, I think, of this series? where we've been talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And not only the gift, but what are some gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us because of this gift that Jesus has, or God has given to us. And each week in our series, we're starting off the lesson by talking about or looking at some words of Jesus, specifically in John chapters 14 through 16. And I've been encouraging you, read those chapters. If you don't have a Bible daily, A, I hope you're in the Word each and every day. Uh, there's a whole lot of other things that we do. You listen to the radio, you watch TV every day, you do something every day. Add to that being in God's Word. That's a good thing to be in every day. And if you don't have a Bible reading plan, start with John chapter 14 through 16, at least in this series. Because we believe, or at least I do, and I hope you do too, I believe that Jesus is the best place to start with anything. Uh, and, and, and He is the expert on pretty much anything that we need to know that's worth knowing about. And so when it comes to the Holy Spirit... Jesus is probably a pretty good place to start on that as well. And I want to start today, speaking of that, with a little rewind from last week, because if you were with us last week, you know that this week is a continuation of last week's lesson. Didn't want to do one long one, so I split it up into two, uh, two weeks. And we started last week by looking at Jesus' words in John chapter 14, so that's what we're going to do 
uh, as we rewind just a minute to kind of refresh where we came from last week. So John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, here's what Jesus says. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And here's the three, four words to key on. The spirit of truth. So as you read chapters 14 through 16 of John, if you've been reading along with us as we've been going through this, you'll notice that Jesus, uh, when he talks about the Holy Spirit, he's going to refer to the Holy Spirit in, 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 in one particular way uh, as the advocate or the comforter or the helper. All of those ways are adequate ways of defining the words that Jesus uses. But when it comes to naming, the name that Jesus uses when it comes to the Holy Spirit is this name that we just read, the Spirit of Truth. And I think that's significant because Jesus could have chosen any number of ways to define and describe the Holy Spirit. He could have said the spirit of joy or the spirit of peace or the spirit of love or the spirit of holiness. Or as I said last week, uh, as the Apostle Paul refers to the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ, which that's a whole nother subject to, to talk about and why he defines it that way. But what Jesus did consistently is he referred to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Truth. And as we talked about, maybe that's because the truth is we need truth help. That's in your notes, but that's part of what we talked about last week. We need truth help. And so the Holy Spirit has come to help us. And one of the areas that we seem to need the most help is in the area of truth. Because we live in a day and age where it's more appropriate, or seemingly more appropriate, to be politically correct than it is to actually be Correct. It's more important to, 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 to be politically correct than it is to actually be true and correct in what it is that we are speaking. And there's more than a few problems with that. <clears throat> Namely, you can be absolutely sincere and you can be absolutely and sincerely wrong. There are just some areas of life where we need absolute objective truth. And in the most important areas, it would help if we knew what God, the creator of it all, thinks about those things. And the good news is the Holy Spirit helps us and he reveals to us the truth of God, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Here's what Jesus says in John chapter 16, verses 12 and 13. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. As I said last week, that doesn't mean that he's going to help you on your, you know, for, for our younger folks, he's going to help you on your math test or your chemistry test or your history test. It doesn't mean that, you know, if you, you have to pass some test in your job or some qualification, doesn't necessarily mean he's going to help you in those ways. But what it does mean is that everything you need to grasp and understand to become the person that God has called you to be, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to you. Now, how does he do that? Well, I think he does that in two ways in particular. Last week, we talked about the first way the Holy Spirit helps us to hear the truth. Again, that's not in your notes today, but this is from last week. And so we talked about that idea. What does that mean? What does that look like? I think there are three distinctive ways, not the only ways, but three distinctive ways the Holy Spirit helps us to do that. One, he helps us to read the Bible. I think that's significant. And if you, if you missed last week's lesson, I encourage you to go back and listen to that because it sets some of the foundation. But we talked about how he helps us read the Bible. Secondly, the Holy Spirit helps us to detect false teaching. And then thirdly, the Holy Spirit helps us through the communal discernment through each other, other spirit-filled believers, kind of, we can bounce some ideas off of it. So one of the things we talked about is if, if you've got some, this is why it's important to have community and be in community. 
and, and, and be fellowshipping with other Christians and spirit-filled believers. Because it's the Holy Spirit. If you think the Holy Spirit's leading you to do something that your Christian brothers and sisters say, eh, that's, that's not in line with God's word, that's probably a red flag. And so we talked about that uh, as well last week. And I'm sure, again, there are more than those ways, but those are just the three main ways I think the Holy Spirit helps us to hear the truth. But that being said, the conversation about the spirit of truth can't end there. Because I think there's more truth that the Holy Spirit wants to shed and reveal in our lives. And so Jesus says this in John chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So last week we talked about how the spirit of truth is going to help us hear the truth. This week we're going to talk about how the spirit of truth, as Jesus says, helps us to speak the truth. The Holy Spirit helps us to speak the truth. And so that's what we're going to dive in for the rest of our time this morning. So Acts chapter 1. The believers are, the disciples of Jesus, are in the presence of the resurrected Jesus. Jesus says, risen from the dead at the end of the Gospels. Here we are in Acts chapter 1. He has not gone yet to heaven. This is the, the Jesus who died on the cross. They thought he was dead. He is raised from the life, and they are in his presence. I am sure they are fired up. Like if you go back to when you became a Christian and you were excited about being a Christian, hopefully you still have that excitement, but sometimes that wanes over the years, right? But you go back to those initial times when you were excited, you were on fire for Jesus. Imagine what they were like. They've just seen and experienced the, resurrect the resurrection of Jesus and they are ready to go tell others about him. Jesus has even commissioned them to go and tell everybody about him. He says at the end of the Gospels in Matthew chapter 28, or Matthew chapter 28, uh, go, right? Go into all the world and make disciples. But then in Acts chapter 1, he tells them, wait. He says to them in verse 4, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Then he says in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what happens. Which brings us to Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes and those early disciples are the least expected group of people in history to launch a worldwide movement. They've got no assets. They've got no money. They've got no political power. They've got no education. And yet they launched a movement that is still changing the world. Least expected, but most empowered. And when the Spirit comes and fills them, they begin to proclaim Christ and a crowd gathers round, as you can imagine. And the crowd thinks, what has gotten into Peter and those disciples? Wrong question. It's not what, but who has gotten into them. And they start to proclaim the message of Jesus with unnatural boldness and unnatural clarity because they have supernatural help just as Jesus promise. For example, go all the way back, and this is not a new promise, go all the way back to Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 and 20. Jesus says, but when, not if, but when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will, be not, will, it, for it will not be you speaking, 
but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. You see, it's very important for us to understand that Jesus has sent us the Spirit, not just to help us walk, but also to help us talk the way of Jesus. Because I believe the Bible must be taught, or excuse me, the Gospel must be taught to be caught. In other words, we can't just live it. It needs to be accompanied by words, not just actions. Actions are important, but it needs to be accompanied by words. Now, I want to be clear on how I broach this because I don't want you to misunderstand me. I don't want you to think that I'm placing one over the other. Both are important, but I do want to explain what it is that we're talking about here and why this is so important. And it is awesome to see a renewed sense in our churches today. Of, and especially in our young people today, it's a beautiful thing. There's a renewed sense of passion for justice and for things to be made right in our world today. For people to, to, do, you know, to do good for other people and to be salt and light and to do good works in our community, in our world. And those are things that, to be honest with you, our young people are doing sometimes better than, than us middle-aged and us older people in some ways. They're seeking out those ways to step into the gaps and help people. And obviously, I believe we ought to be doing those things. And I think we are. We do a, a good number of those things in the church, so I don't want to diminish that. But I do fear that what is starting to happen, and it has happened for a little bit now, and it's, it's coming even more so, especially the way that we think about things today. I fear that what's happened is that we have decided that if we will just be good examples in our world, then the world will understand the gospel and believe in Jesus and claim Jesus as their Savior. If we'll just live it out and we'll just be good examples, we don't have to say a word, people will just believe. I don't believe that. In fact, studies show that that is not the case. You read through studies that are done about these things. You probably can find a study on just about anything. But studies are done on these things. And the, the reality is people don't make the connection. You can do all the good that you want to do, and that is good, and I don't want to diminish that, but people aren't necessarily going to make the connection between that and Jesus. If the gospel is going to be caught, it must be taught. Now, to be clear, if you try to preach it without... This is why I want to, want to make sure I'm not misunderstood, because some, some of you may be pushing back. Well, you say, well, what, what if I just try and preach it without living? That doesn't work either, okay? I'm not saying that. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Just because I'm holding up one doesn't mean I'm diminishing the other. You can't preach it and teach it and talk about it without living it. Or it's going to fall on deaf ears, okay? But you also can't live it without talking about it. Otherwise, there are no ears that will hear it. For example, let me just give you a concrete example of this. Let's say you have a neighbor. And you decide that in the name of Jesus, you are going to be a good neighbor. That's a good thing. Be a good neighbor. And so when he injures his leg, you mow his yard. You come over and you do some things for him. And when his wife is sick, you take food over. And when he gets cancer, you go to see him in the hospital. And then he dies. What gospel have you preached to your neighbor? I fear it is a gospel that is becoming very very prevalent in our Christian circles in our American culture. And that is that if you will just be a good person, God will save you. 
And I want to, again, I want to be very careful. God is the ultimate judge here. But here's what I will say. Kindness never washed away a single sin. Only the blood of Jesus does that. Amen. That is the reality. And what your neighbor needed most was to know Jesus. That's right. Now, should we not do anything and just tell them about Jesus? If you're saying that, then you have been tuned out for the last 10 minutes of this sermon. Because that's not what I'm saying. But if we don't tell people about Jesus, then what are we doing the things we're doing for? And I think much of the evangelistic apathy in our churches today is the sad and inevitable consequence of most of us living with little to no intimacy in the Holy Spirit. And we do some good things. But we're not changing the world for Jesus. You remember the tragedy of 1912 when the Titanic sank. The iceberg gashed a hole and they sent out distress signals. And the closest ship, the SS Californian, was about an hour and a half away. A decent distance, but close enough. Had she responded immediately, she would have been able to get to the Titanic before the Titanic went down. Problem is, the, US, the SS Californian never showed up. And so there was a congressional hearing and Senator William Smith of Michigan asked the captain of the SS Californian, why didn't you respond to the distress call? And the captain fidgeted for a bit and finally said, well, we were afraid. We were afraid of icebergs. So we had shut off our fires and we had no power. No fire. No power. No one was saved. And when the church quenches the fire of the Holy Spirit, we have no power and no one gets saved. I believe that when you live in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, walk in step with the Holy Spirit, His passions start to become your passions. So that's a good, that's a good kind of barometer, right? You look at Scripture and you say, well, what, what is... What are some marks of, of what it looks like to walk in, in the fruits of the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit? And if, if those don't line up with where our passions are, then that probably tells you you're not walking in step with the Spirit. But one of the most clear aspects of walking in step with the Spirit is being passionate about what the Holy Spirit is most passionate about. And there is one thing that the Holy Spirit more than anything else is passionate about, and that is lifting up Jesus so that all can come to Him. It all falls under that because the Holy Spirit has one curriculum. One. And that is the exaltation of Jesus Christ. That's it. Everything falls under that banner. And so we can talk about all this and that and the other, but at the end of the day, are we lifting up Jesus or not? Because that's what the Holy Spirit is passionate about. The Holy Spirit is the most seeker-sensitive person in the New Testament. And what you'll see as you read, especially in the book of Acts, is that anytime anybody is filled with the Holy Spirit, the first thing they do is talk about Jesus. Maybe a good question for us is, how many things do we talk about in our conversations before we ever get to Jesus? Or do we ever get to Jesus? So in Acts chapter 2, when they're filled with the Spirit, they start to proclaim the wonders of God. They lift up Christ. 
In Acts chapter 3, there's an awesome story about Peter and John. They're on their way to the temple, and this lame man is there, and they, they see him, and, and he asks to be healed, and, and, or he doesn't ask, he asks for something else, and they end up healing him. He begins to jump up and down with joy, and shocker, a crowd gathers around because there's a lame man who's been healed. He's jumping around now. That's going to get some attention, right? And so Peter starts to preach because he's got a crowd there, and the authorities are not happy about this. And so they call Peter and John in to question them, and that's where Peter makes this incredible statement in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. He says, salvation is found in no one else. Beautiful statement. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's just an incredible proclamation of the power of Jesus and the name of Jesus. But if you read right before that, we read that in verse 12. Read right before that, four verses earlier in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 8. It says, then Peter, what? Full of the Holy Spirit said to them. Then later in the chapter, Peter and John are sent home and told not to talk anymore about Jesus under great threat. Peter and John go to where the other believers are gathered. They tell them what's happened. They get into a prayer meeting. They start praying. They start asking God for boldness to speak his word. It says in Acts chapter 4 verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly, even in the face of persecution death. But perhaps my favorite example, and it doesn't end well for him, but it does for the gospel, is, is in Acts chapter 7. Stephen is preaching a powerful sermon about Jesus. And the religious authorities, they don't want to hear anything about Jesus. And so they're listening to Stephen and they're just getting madder and madder and angrier trying to figure out a way they can shut Stephen up. And Stephen knows he's on thin ice with him, but he doesn't care. Because nothing and nobody is going to stop him from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And so verse 55, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That was the tipping point. Verse 57 for the, the religious leaders. At this, they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. I picture like little toddlers. But anyways, and rushed at him. This is not toddler behavior. Um, or maybe it is. And dragged him out of the city. Stoned him. Because they had no other way they could figure out how to silence a man who is full of the Holy Spirit and consequently wasn't going to let anyone or anything stop him from sharing the truth of Jesus Christ. How about us? Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 14, He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. You see, the Holy Spirit wasn't given for your agenda. We talked about this early on. So many of the books you'll read about the Holy Spirit, studies that are done on the Holy Spirit, talk about what the Holy Spirit does for us. And those are good things, and I don't want to discount them, but ultimately the Holy Spirit wasn't given to us for our agenda. The Holy Spirit was given to us for Christ's agenda. He is present, He is able, and He is eager to help us do what honestly, for most of us, doesn't come naturally. Witnessing doesn't come naturally because it's supernatural business. And we need help. And my observation in my own life included is that most of us are not living secretly sinful lives, but we're living secretly Christian lives. 
to the world around us. And the Holy Spirit wants to help us walk and talk Jesus. He wants to add some fitness to our witness. He wants to give us the courage and the words to confront what is most wrong with the truth about what is most right. And here is the truth. Jesus is the truth. You know, as you read through the Bible, and you read through the life and teachings of Jesus, you'll notice that He never really says, He tells us some things to believe, but He never really says, believe this or believe that. Like, the beliefs are important, but it's not about, like, the beliefs themselves are not really what we hold on to. You know what He says more often than anything else? Believe me. Believe me, Jesus says. Jesus made himself the issue. In fact, this whole discourse in John chapters 14 through 16 starts with this incredibly controversial statement. Now, those of us who are Christians, we've probably seen it, but in our world, this is super controversial. And in that first century world, it was super controversial. Jesus says these words in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way. Not a way. Not one of. I am the way and the truth and the life. Amen. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And in our day and age, that is politically incorrect. And yet it is absolutely true. Jesus is the way. He is the only way. To God. He is the Son of God. He is the wisdom of God. And the Holy Spirit is going to help us stay on topic. And the topic is Jesus. And more and more, this is becoming so clear to me. And I'm not saying I'm good at it or that I live it out all the time. I'm just saying more and more, that's what God is revealing to me through His Word and through His Spirit, is that Jesus is the issue. The older I get, Jesus is the issue. Because we live in a world and in a culture that is just filled with so much propaganda and so much untruth. And it's so easy to get caught up in, in not just that side of it, but even like, what are the issues and what are the arguments? And there's these arguments and there's these arguments. And, 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 and I'm, like, I love the study of apologetics, which is just basically how do we prove God to be true and the Bible to be true and the things around us. How do we, like, I love those things. And there's, there's a lot of valid and honest questions that people are asking. Probably some of you ask, right? So it's like, where did dinosaurs come from? And how old is the earth? And who was Cain's wife? And why, how do, how do we make sense of how, you know, all the things that happened at the beginning of Genesis? And even the Genesis narrative, like, how do we make sense of that? And I could go on and on, like, questions that you probably are dealing with. And they're good and valid questions. And I don't want to discount any of them at all all but at the end of the day the issue that matters more than any other is Jesus because if you don't make a decision for him I don't care how old the earth is <laughs> or how you feel about dinosaurs <clears throat> or who Cain's wife was like it as we say down south it doesn't matter a hill of beans if Jesus isn't at the center. Jesus is the issue. And if we don't start with Him, then nothing else really matters. And the good news is that God has sent us the truth 
spirit truth to help us hear and to speak of the greatest truth of all, Jesus Christ.